Now, let me now take you to our uh, text for today, and that's in the book of Philemon, and chapter 1, verse 17 onwards, right to the end of the chapter. So follow along with me as I read this text for you. Philemon chapter 1, verse 17 onwards. So, if you consider me a partner, Paul said, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand and I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. So refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas and Luke, my fellow workers. And then he ended off with this beautiful line, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Father, I ask that this morning, as we come to the climax of this beautiful book, may you open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your scripture. Father, thank you that throughout these 20 verses, or 25 verses, we have seen the gospel of Jesus Christ being really played out. And I pray today that you allow your servant to make all this clear so that your people may fall in love with Jesus all over again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Now this morning, we have actually come to the top piece of the hamburger. And by this time, the hamburger in Philemon must be already imprinted in your mind. Uh, so that every time you read the book of Philemon going forward, all you see is a hamburger. And every time you eat McDonald's, you will remember again what the book of Philemon is all about. So for the sake of those who may have joined us for the first time, we have actually struck, uh, re we realized that the structure in the book of Philemon is almost like a hamburger. With the base piece as where Paul gave us his affirmation for Philemon. And this is found in verse 1 all the way to verse 7. And then in the middle piece is the appeal. This is the patty, the appeal, the main bulk of the book. And you find this in verse 8 all the way to 16. Then from verse 7, today we're coming to the third piece. This is the, this is the hamburger, uh, the sesame bun. And we're coming to the end where Paul gave us an assurance. And you'll find this in verse 17 all the way to 25. And I'm looking forward now to share with you what we see here in the assurance. Okay, and in this portion, all the way from verse 17 to 25, I want to unpack for you five specific actions of the Apostle Paul, and then after that, I will apply it to our context, okay? So for a start, let me unfold for, unpack for you now five specific actions of Paul. Number one is this. The first thing he did in this uh, in, in this assurance portion, is he issued a personal challenge to Philemon. You find this in verse 17. Having established that Onesimus new, has a new identity in Christ, Paul now pressed in for closure uh, by challenging Philemon in verse 17. He says, so if you consider me a partner, 
welcome him as you would welcome me. Welcome Onesimus, your runaway slave, as you would welcome me, your Apostle Paul. You know, I found in, in, in this portion that the Apostle Paul was one of those mentors who have no qualms in giving his mentorees a spiritual challenge. Now, many of us will sometimes shrink, you know, from challenging our spiritual sons and daughters to go beyond or to scale up to a higher spiritual level. Um, like, for example, do we actually uh, confront or challenge those that you are journeying with with things like give more to the Lord's work? Uh, do we challenge them with things like do the right thing or, or deal with the flaws in your character? Uh, do we actually dare put our finger and place a demand for them to change their behavior? Now, I found that Paul is challenging Philemon to actually do something that would take so much out of him. Now, look again carefully at what Paul is asking Philemon to do. He's asking Philemon to welcome Onesimus back the same way that he would welcome Paul. Now, it's one thing to say to, to Philemon, uh, accept Onesimus back or to take him back into your household. But it's another thing to say, welcome him. Because that word welcome implies warmth. It implies a, a readiness. Welcome Onesimus. And not only to welcome him, but welcome him the same way that you would welcome me. That's what Paul is saying. That how many of you know that is a very, very demanding spiritual challenge? Like, just ask yourself, how would Philemon welcome Paul? How would Philemon be expected to welcome his spiritual father? Of course, with enthusiasm, with willingness, with, 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 uh, with, with great desire. Isn't that true? Now, if your spiritual father is coming to visit you, would you not welcome him gladly? And, and how can Philemon do that uh, with Onesimus without first dealing all, with all the past issues of wrongdoing that Onesimus has done? And, and that is why Paul had to step in because the demands is so high, the Apostle Paul had to step in to bridge the gap and therefore to give him before that a personal assurance. So that's the second thing he did. First thing he, he did was he challenged uh, Philemon to welcome Onesimus back the same way that Onis, Philemon will welcome Paul. And then he realized how difficult that is. So he put in, secondly, a personal assurance. And you find this in verse 18 and verse 19. Now, don't miss this one. Look at verse 18 and 19 carefully. Paul then go on to say this. If he has done you any wrong, which he had, right? Or owes you anything, which he did. He stole from the master. Then what did Paul say? Paul says, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. And then as a parenthesis, he go on to say, not to mention that you owe me your very self. Now, Paul knew that Onesimus can never pay back the monies that he has stolen or even compensate Philemon for his monetary loss. And so Paul became his advocate. And he stepped in at this point and he gave Philemon a personal IOU. He's saying to Philemon, if he owes you anything, charge it to me. Or in short, send me the bill. And that word charge in the, in the Greek is a word alioga, which is an accounting term. And I think it's used appropriately here because, there is, because money is involved in this conflict. And then to show his sincerity, what Paul wrote was this. He wrote his assurance, this assurance, in his own handwriting. 
Now, you need to understand that normally, Paul does not write his own epistles, but he dictates it so that a scribe can put everything down for him. But in this letter, Paul actually wrote the assurance of payment himself. So you look at Philemon in verse 18 and 19 again. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand and I will pay it back. And I think that sealed the assurance. It sealed the transaction. It is as if Paul is tempting now across the IOU the words paid in full. I will pay it back. Charge it to me. And therein, brothers and sisters, is already the gospel motif. Just as Jesus paid our debt on our behalf and on the cross of Calvary, he stretched out his hands and he said, charge it to me. I will pay it back. And he's tempting on all, over all of us that all of our debt of sin is paid in full. In the same way, Paul stood in the gap for Onesimus and he says, charge it to me. I will pay it back. What a beautiful motif of the gospel. But the question is this, what credit standing does Paul have with Philemon? Now, we all understand, right, that in order to say to somebody, charge it to my account, we must first have credit standing with the, with the other party. So what credit standing does Paul have with Philemon for him to be able to say, charge it to me, put it un in, under my tab? What right has Paul got to do that? There are two key things Two factors here. Number one, it's because of spiritual birth. It was the Apostle Paul who led Philemon to Christ. So that it, that it was a debt of spiritual parenting. So because of Paul's relationship to Philemon as a spiritual father, he had that credit standing with Philemon. Number two, it's because of spiritual blessings. It was the Apostle Paul who not only led Philemon to Christ, but it was Paul who actually discipled Philemon to spiritual maturity. And this has resulted in great blessings in Philemon's life, both spiritually and materially. But I'd like you to notice that Paul's subtle use of insinuation here in verse 19. You know, just before he finished, he added this little line, not to mention, you owe me your very self. And Paul is here again employing the technique of saying something by not saying it. The fact that he is saying or he's saying that I, I don't want to even mention this, he already mentioned it. He already said it. It was a subtle but very loud hint that if Onesimus has a debt to pay to Philemon, Philemon also has a debt to pay to the Apostle Paul. See? And he did not press the issue after that because the message, I believe, has gone across loud and clear. So action number one, he issued a personal challenge to Philemon. Action number two, he gave Philemon at the same time a personal assurance. I will pay it back. Charge it to me. And then number three, he then went on to express a personal desire. So you look at verse 20 now. Paul said, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefits from you in the Lord. So refresh my heart in Christ. And this is where Paul comes closest to making known his, what he was hoping for out of Philemon. Again, there's a subtle play of words here using the name of Onesimus because the word Onesimus actually means 
profit or useful profit or benefit. So here's what Paul is saying to Philemon through verse 20. Now that you have profited or benefited from my ministry to you, and now that Onesimus or profit has come back to you, now that I promise to repay everything Onesimus owes you, let me in turn now receive some benefit from you, receive some profit from you. And what sort of benefit is Paul looking for in this case? Paul is saying here, refresh my heart in Christ. Refresh my heart in Christ. Now, what does this remind you of? It brings us right back to where the Apostle Paul started, isn't it? In Philemon chapter 1, verse 7, where Paul began by affirming Philemon's refreshing love. And remember in verse 7, he says, Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. In other words, what Paul is saying is, that which you have been doing to others so willingly, you know, that which you have been doing to others all this while, now do it also to me. Refresh my heart also. The same way as you refresh the saints all over, refresh my heart as well. And this was Paul's personal desire that he was hoping that Philemon will refresh his heart by taking Onesimus back. See? And then, after he has stated all this, issued the challenge, right? And given the assurance. And then now telling him honestly, what is my, my hope? What is my desire? He then, in, in the fourth action he did was beautiful. He then began to express personal confidence in Philemon. So verse 21 goes on to say this, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. As Paul draws his letter to a close, he, be, he expressed confidence in Philemon's obedience. And notice that it was an obedience, not so much towards Paul's demands or requests, but more towards the Lord himself. See, so let's read verse 21 again. Confidence of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And Paul knew that out of Philemon's active faith and refreshing love, he's going to do what is right to the extent that you'll be even more than what Paul is asking for. Brothers and sisters, I believe that this is where mentoring is at its best. You know, when we have that ability and the confidence in the people that we are journeying with, and we, we have confidence in the people whose hearts God has given to us, that when we, we know that we know, that we, we see the potential that they have in Christ, the possibilities that can come out of their life because of the Lord. And Paul is so confident that Philemon will do the right thing. And he actually stated it, that I'm confident you are going to do more than I even ask because of your relationship with Christ. And then lastly, he demonstrated personal hope in verse 22. In Philemon verse 22, he said, he said this, and one thing more, prepare guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayer. You see, during this time when Paul wrote this letter, he was under house arrest in Rome and the churches everywhere were praying for him. And at this point, 
Paul demonstrated the power of prayer by requesting for a room to be made ready for him. You know why? Because he, was, he had no doubts that because they are praying, God will deliver him. He had no doubt that their prayers will actually be heard. And so the Apostle Paul expressed his confidence in, in, in God and in, in prayer by saying, since you guys are praying for me, prepare a guest room for me because I am coming and I believe that God will deliver me and I will come. You know, sometimes we pray and we all know that and when God answers our prayer, all of us are shocked. You know, we prayed, but we never quite expected. Uh, we all heard testimonies like that, you know, oh, for 20 over years, I've been praying for my parents to come to the Lord. Last night, my mom asked to receive Jesus. And my, my first reaction is, are you sure? You know, have you considered it carefully? Do you know what you're doing? No, why, why do we always end up like that? I think it's because we are so surprised, you know, when God actually answers our prayer. It's, it's like, it's like saying that I prayed for rain, but I never brought an umbrella. If you really pray for rain, you bring an umbrella if you believe God's really going to answer your prayer. But I have noticed that the Apostle Paul is never like that. Now, I understand uh, even when my parents came to the Lord after years and years of prayer, I was shocked too. But I think it's a shock that, that, is, that, that is actually delightful. You know, we are like so amazed that God has actually done it. But I noticed that the Apostle Paul is never like that. He prays and he expects God to respond. Uh, I give another example. He expressed the same kind of hope in 2 Corinthians 1, verse 10 and verse 11. Listen to what Paul wrote here. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril or danger, and He will deliver us. On Him, we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us. And as you helped us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. See, the Apostle Paul had full confidence every time he prays. But you know, behind these words... I think there's also a subtle hint when Paul wrote here, you know, prepare me a guest room. I think it's also a subtle hint that Paul is saying, I will come and follow up on how you respond to my request. Uh, by asking for a guest room, I think Paul is at the same time saying to Philemon, guess what? I'll be coming around to see how you respond to Onesimus. I will follow through on this so you know what to do. Uh, I think it's like John Maxwell says, you can only expect what you inspect. And Paul is literally saying, that's what I intend to do. So get ready for me, a guest room. I will come for an inspection. So all these were very strategic things that Paul wrote uh, in, as he brings his letter to a close. Now, having unpacked for you those few verses, I'm now going to uh, apply this to our context. Now, this is where we mustn't miss the last line that Paul wrote. Uh, the Apostle Paul ended his letter with a benediction in verse 25. Don't miss this. He said, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, sometimes I think we read this as just a final greeting, but I think it's more than that. I think what Paul is doing is literally taking, you know, if you go to a gourmet restaurant and you eat a gourmet burger, uh, it's not like McDonald's, they just give you a burger. But what they will do is take a toothpick, right, with a nice little flower at the top, and then they pierce it right through for what? To hold everything together. 
And that's what verse 25 is doing. It is holding everything together uh, with this statement. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Encapsulated within this simple benediction is the theological underpinning to all that Paul has written in the book of Philemon. See, at the end of the day, the only way in which Philemon can do what Paul is asking him to do is only by the grace of God. It is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that enable us to put to, to really do what God, uh, what Paul is asking Philemon to do. See, Paul is actually asking Philemon to forgive Onesimus, the runaway slave, the one that's sinned against him, and to take him back, and not only take him back, but welcome him back, not as a slave, but as a brother. It's such a tall order. It's such a difficult thing to do. It is only doable by the grace of God. In the natural, I don't think Philemon would want to do that. Uh, have you heard the story? There was a five-year-old boy playing with his two-year-old brother in their room. And all of a sudden, the, there was a scream that came out of the room because the two-year-old pulled the five-year-old's hair. And then she, the five-year-old, the, old, the older brother started screaming and the mother ran into the room and said, what's wrong, what's wrong? And then he pointed at his two-year-old brother and said, he pulled my hair, he pulled my hair. And the mom uh, said to the, the older brother, he says, he's your brother is only two years old. He don't even understand what he's doing and he doesn't even know what it's like to have your hair pulled. So it's okay. And the mom walked away. And a few seconds later, there was another scream from the bedroom and the mom came rushing back again and said, what's wrong, what's wrong? And then this time, it's the two-year-old that is screaming. And then the five-year-old turned to mom and said, you told me he doesn't understand what it feels like to have his hair pulled. Now he does. And... I think there are, every one of us can identify with a situation like that. There are times when we want to be the policeman, the judge, and the jury all put together. Isn't that right? Uh, we want to be able to give people a taste of their own medicine. Uh, we want to be able to give them a piece of our mind. We don't want to give in to them or to, or to, or to forgive them, but we want to give it to them. You know? And it's like a car bumper sticker that I once saw. You know? And the bumper sticker goes like this. To err is human. To forgive is out of the question. <laughs> it's out of the question. And isn't it true that in life, in the fallen world that we lived in, life is not always fair. Uh, we do live in a sinful world where wrongs are often not put right, where offences sometimes are never resolved and unfair treatment is common. And then the Christian ended up being faced with what Philip Yancey, the famous author, calls the scandal of forgiveness. Philip Yancey says forgiveness, as we understand it, sometimes it's a scandal. And questions people ask are like, why should I forgive? Every time, just because you say you're sorry. And why must I always be the one to make the first move to, to, to reconcile? Why can't I demand change before I choose to forgive? Now, all these are questions that face us every time we come face to face with what Philip Yancey calls the scandal of forgiveness. But I want you to understand, brothers and sisters, that grace it is only by the grace of God. It's only because of the gospel that is now impacted our life that we will have this new response to be able to forgive 
even when people don't deserve it. You see? And we must always remember this, that grace is the one weapon that Satan has no answer to. Let me illustrate it this way. You know, in recent years, audience all around the world have enjoyed that famous musical play on Broadway, Les Miserables. It is based on Victor Hugo's book. It's actually a very powerful portrayal of the drama of forgiveness. And in that play, in Les Miserables, it actually tells the story of a French soldier by the name of Jean Valjean. And, and Jean was actually sentenced to prison because he stole some bread. But there in prison, it hardened him and he became a hardcore prisoner. And he ended up, after being released from prison, wandering the streets, you know, until he met a very kind bishop who took him into his house. It's a very kind bishop, a pastor, who took him into his home. But instead of being grateful, what Valjean did was he waited for the bishop and his sister to, to go to bed. And then he stole all of their silver and then escaped and ran away. But the next morning, there was a knock on the, on the bishop's door and outside, when he opened the door, he found three policemen together with Valjean in handcuffs. So what happened in the middle of the night was they caught him with the silver and they were ready to put him in prison for life. But when the bishop opened the door and saw Valjean in, 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 hand, in handcuffs, the first thing he did was he turned around and he ran back to his bedroom, took one silver candlestick that was still there and he brought it to the door and then this is what he said. He said, oh, here you are, Jean. I'm delighted to see you. Have you forgotten? I also gave you this silver candlestick as well. They are silver, just like the rest and it's worth at least 200 francs. Did you forget to take this one? And, and then Valjean was shocked. He, he was speechless. And the, the bishop then turned to the policemen that were there and then said to them, this silver was my gift to him. And then he pushed the candlestick into Valjean's hand and then said to him these powerful words. And, uh, this is such beautiful. Listen to this. He said, do not forget, do not ever forget that you have promised me to use this money to make yourself an honest man. And the bishop's act of amazing grace changed Valjean's life forever. And from that day on, Valjean dedicated his life to help others. That is the power of unconditional forgiveness. But there was another twist to that story. Because in the story in Les Miserables, there was a detective by the name of Jivet who was so convinced that Valjean was a crook. He was so convinced that Valjean was a thief. He spent the next 20 years, actually, uh, stalking Valjean, waiting for, for him to commit another crime so that he could really bring justice to him. But after 20 years, of stalking, he could not find any fault in Valjean because Valjean's life by that time was completely transformed. And he was unable to, to, to actually catch him. And after 20 years of frustration, Jivet ended up jumping off the bridge and killing himself. I think Jivet was a picture of the law, but the bishop was a picture of grace. You put all that together and you get this beautiful picture of the power of unconditional forgiveness. What a beautiful picture. 
This is what the gospel is all about. That God, in His infinite grace, choose to actually come and die for us so that our sins can be forgiven. You know, we can ask ourselves, why should I forgive? Why should I be the one to forgive others? Firstly, because we ourselves have been greatly forgiven. So let me outline for you three biblical reasons why I believe forgiveness is our portion. To forgive others is our portion. Number one, forgiveness is what we have first received. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 13, the Apostle Paul wrote this, Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. We love because He first loved us. We forgive because we ourselves have been greatly forgiven. The word forgive, actually, one way to look at it is to forgive. In other words, to give before. So to forgive is actually quite illogical. It, re it requires the offended party to give before. You know, before we even see any change in, 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 in the offender, our job is to forgive, to give before. But understand that our job is to forgive the person for the hurt, for the offence that we have suffered. But only God can forgive the sin that is actually committed. The forgiveness of sin is God's domain and not ours. It's His department, not ours. But our job is to forgive others of the offence, of the hurt that they have done to us. And we do it only because we ourselves have been greatly forgiven first by God. Number two, why do I forgive? Forgiveness breaks the chain of blame and pain. Look at Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said in verse 14 and 15, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sin, then your Father will not forgive your sin. Now, this, when you read Matthew 6, 14 and 15, it doesn't mean that God will refuse to forgive us until we forgive others like a tick for tack thing. It's not quite like that. But what he's saying is this, that we cannot receive, it's not that God will not forgive us, but it's because we cannot receive God's forgiveness until we are willing to forgive others. Now, one way in which I can illustrate it would be this. Imagine if you can, this is what he's talking about. There is this flower, okay, it's planted in the ground. And at all times, the rain of God is always falling. Okay? And it's like what Shakespeare says, the mercy of God is not strained. It falleth like rain from heaven. The, the, the forgiveness of God, this is what the rain represents. The forgiveness of God is always there. He's ever ready to forgive. But when we harbour unforgiveness in our heart, it's like as if someone just put a plastic sheet over this flower. If, if we harbour unforgiveness in our heart, then some, it's like as if you have put a plastic sheet over this, and even though the forgiveness of God is always there, we cannot receive it anymore. And over time, we will wither and we will die. See, and so this is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 6, 14 and 15. He's actually telling us that God's forgiveness is ever ready. It's always there. But if we harbor unforgiveness in our heart, 
we have just put a plastic sheet over us and we can no longer receive the reign of God's forgiveness. So if you forgive men when they sin against you, then will our Father be able to forgive you. But if you don't, if we harbor unforgiveness in our heart, then we ourselves cannot receive God's forgiveness. See? And that's why forgiveness, I believe, breaks the chain of blame and pain. And because we forgive, we will freely experience God's forgiveness. Number three, forgiveness in the end will set both victim and perpetrator free. It is only in forgiveness that both the offended and the offender can be set free. There's this great story that was told about two friends that were taking a walk, uh, a hike in the desert. And along the way, they fall into an argument. And after a while, one friend slapped the other one you know, right across the face. And the one that got slapped, he was so hurt. And then he didn't say anything, but what he did was he used uh, his finger and he wrote in the sand, today my best friend slapped me. And then they carried on. And as he went on, they came to an oasis and they decided to have a dip and they have a, have a bath. And immediately, the one that was slapped jumped in first. And then his leg got entangled with some, with, with some branches and, and, and mud that was at the bottom and he started to drown. And the friend immediately jumped in and rescued him. And when they first finally rescued, that, that one, the one that was rescued was the one that was, that was slapped in the first place. He immediately took out a stone and he carved onto the stone, today my best friend saved me. And so the other guy was watching and he asked him, that's strange, earlier on when I slapped you, you wrote in the sand. But now that I saved you, you are carving it onto a stone. Why? And this is what the... The friend replied, and I thought it was beautiful. Let me read it for you. He says, when someone hurts us, we should write it down in sand, where the winds of forgiveness can erase it and blow it away. But when someone does something good for us, we must engrave it in stone, where no wind can ever erase. I like that principle. What's he saying? Learn to write your hurts in the sand, and to carve your benefits in stone. See, our tendency is to do the opposite. We tend to remember people's offenses for life, and then it's so fast we will forget the benefits that others have given to us. But our God is the exact opposite. You know, in Psalms 103, verse 10 to 12, this is what the psalmist wrote. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His loving kindness towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our sins from us. How far is the east from the west? The answer must be infinitely far, isn't it? And through the great miracle of forgiveness, God has set us free from the guilt of our sin. As far as the east is from the west, He has removed our sin from us. And truly, He whom the Son set free, we are free indeed. This is the power of the gospel. Through the power of the gospel, we find the grace to forgive others. So, we ask the million-dollar question now. 
in the end, did Philemon actually do what was expected of him? Did he actually receive Onesimus back? Did he forgive that runaway slave? I believe he did. One tradition actually said that Philemon did receive Onesimus back, did welcome him back, and in fact, went beyond what Paul was asking for and later on released him to actually go back to serve with Paul. And he actually released him from slavery and sent him back to Ephesus. And later, this same Onesimus became the bishop of Berea and later on actually was, uh, was martyred for the Lord. If this tradition is true, then I think it's so in line with the power of forgiveness and grace. It's so in line with the power of the gospel to transform. And because of that, because of the invasion of Christ into this whole situation, both Philemon as well as Onesimus has got a new relationship in the Lord and therefore it resulted in a new response that brought glory to God. Let me end this morning with this. I think hidden within this short 20 verses or 25 verses in Philemon, in the book of Philemon, is the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now you may ask, what exactly is the gospel? Let me put it this way. Before I understood the gospel, I lived a sin-filled life. I did many, many wrong things in my life. The good things that I know I should do, I don't have the power to do it. I don't have the strength to do it. The bad things that I know I shouldn't do, I just end up doing it. Wretched man that I am. You know, the, the, the Bible calls this the dilemma of sin. And all of us, many of us can identify with this. But I knew, even though I, I don't understand the gospel at that time, I knew instinctively that my sins must have separated me from a holy God. I knew that somehow my sins must be paid for. I, I knew that somehow my sins must be dealt with. And this is where the gospel comes in. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ, the sinless Son of God, died for our sin on the cross of Calvary. And then he rose again, proving himself to have victory over death and Satan. And because of what Jesus Christ has done today, I and you can have forgiveness of sin. Today we are set free from guilt and condemnation. And best of all, we now have the power to overcome sin and to live a victorious Christian life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to understand, brothers and sisters, that we did nothing to deserve this. And the good news is we need not and we cannot do anything to earn this. But we simply need to believe and to put our trust in what Jesus has done for us. It's like that old song we used to sing. He paid a debt he didn't owe. I owe a debt I couldn't pay. I needed someone to take my sins away. And now I sing a brand new song, Amazing Grace. Christ Jesus paid a debt that I could never pay. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus paid a debt he didn't owe. Because I'm the one who owned it. I'm the one who deserved to be punished for my sin. 
and yet he chose to pay it on my behalf. See, that's why I say the book of Philemon is a picture of all of this. Philemon was a picture of God the Father to whom we, we all belong to because of creation. But we are the Onesimus who have violated God and we robbed him of all the glory and worship that rightly belongs to him. And the Apostle Paul was a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ who stepped in as our divine advocate and he stretched out, just like Jesus did, stretched out his nail-pierced hands and declared to the Father, charge it to me. I have paid it back. And because of what Jesus has done, we have all been set free. Because of what our divine advocate has done, today, stamped right across our IOU, is this words paid in full. And because of what Jesus has done, we who were once unprofitable, useless, we have now become profitable, useful to the kingdom of God. This is the good news of the gospel. And may we all fall in love with Jesus all over again because of what Jesus has done for us. I'd like us to take a moment right now just to bow our hearts before the Lord and to allow these words spoken in simplicity to just minister to your inner man. There are two groups of people I would like to talk to this morning before I close. Firstly, there are some of us here, even as I talk to you about how Onesimus has been forgiven, even though he don't deserve it, Philemon forgave him only because Philemon understood the power of the gospel because he himself has been greatly forgiven. He now found the grace to forgive Onesimus. There's some of us here this morning, maybe there are people who have truly offended you, people who have done you wrong. And the mere mention of that name sometimes causes your blood to boil. But I want you to know that we who have been greatly forgiven, God will give us the grace to forgive others also. And this morning, as you listen to what I've been sharing, and you know in your heart that, Brother Benny, I want to be set free. I know it is not good for me to hold this unforgiveness inside. I don't want this plastic sheet over me anymore, but I want to be set free. And I want that freedom that is found in forgiveness. And this morning, you can choose to forgive. You can choose to say, Father, give me the grace so that I can forgive this person or that person who has hurt me. If this is something you want to do, I want you to know that the grace of God is here to enable you to do that. In a few moments, I want to pray with you so that you can let Jesus come and forgive your friend, forgive your loved one through you. If this is your desire, can I invite you right now in your mind's eyes as you lift both hands to God, wherever you are, in your living room, in front of your devices, would you take a moment, you lift this person that you need to forgive before the Lord. And then allow me to pray for you. And then you find the grace of God. You have a relationship with Jesus and therefore you can have a new, relation, new response to this whole situation. And right now, wherever you are, you can choose to forgive and God will come and set you free. So if there's something you need to do, then right now, would you lift your hands to God and pray with me and allow me to pray for you. Father God, you see the hearts of all my brothers and sisters all across 
the living rooms, whether it's in Perth or, or beyond. And Lord, I pray that as they lift the person that has offended them, that has hurt them before your presence, right now, as they make a decision to forgive, I ask for the grace of God to be upon them. And as they choose to forgive, let that freedom come. Let the freedom of forgiveness come and set them free. Free to be able to forgive right now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. So would you lift that person before the Lord and in your heart, you make that decision and say, Lord Jesus, I choose to forgive so and so for these things that they have done to me. And would you just take a moment and just begin to pray and ask God to give you that grace. And as you forgive, would you state the things that you're forgiving them for so that, so that that wound, that hurt can be, can be healed in the name of Jesus. That's right. Just do that. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray that you hear the prayers of all my brothers and sisters. And God, may that sense of freedom come right now in Jesus' name. Let them experience that freedom even now in the name of Jesus. Thank you, God, for that grace that comes from above. Thank you that we love only because you first loved us and we can forgive only because we have been greatly forgiven. Thank you, Lord, for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.